לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס.
appreciated um, this extraordinary gift that he had, an, an extraordinary gift that he gave to people. So a, he had an important lesson, an essential lesson, and that is that we can't explain, but we can comfort. Yeah. And too many people get bogged down wanting to know why something happens when what they which they can't answer. And what Kushner said is what you can do is comfort that person by being present for that person. And that's something that anyone can do. Yes. There's a, when, Barry, when you said they often remember the title of the book wrong, I, I thought you were, were going to say something a little bit different, which is that people think that the, the, the title is when good things happen to bad people. How come that happens? Why, why good things happen to bad people? That stinks, man. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kushner, you you have you have the the classic problem of what's called theodicy, justifying God's ways to man, or in Hebrew, tzaddik viralo, a righteous person who suffers. Uh, that's just always going to be true, no matter what. Every single life has suffering. Every single life has pain, you know, and and the the spiritual challenge is to to say to life, you know, to live life, to say why life is good, and and even I'm a religious person, even to love to love your life, to love God, even despite your own pain. And you only have a few answers, right? You you can only say like the classical problem is God can't be all good, all knowing, and all powerful. If, if God is all good, all knowing, and all powerful then nothing bad should happen, but bad things do happen. And so you have to, you have to, you only have a limited number of, of responses that you can say, you know, and Kushner doubles down on the one that, that I do think is most attested in Jewish tradition, especially most attested in the Kabbalah, even though he was no Kabbalist, that God is actually not all powerful. God is infinitely loving and infinitely good, but much of the world is turned over to randomness and much of the world is turned over to human free will. And so God doesn't fix every problem. And, and to me, that is resonant. But you can also understand why, like Orthodox people, they don't want to say God's not all-powerful. Why would I want to worship a God who's not all-powerful? But if you don't say that, then you really have lots of problems. You have tsunami problems. You have Holocaust problems. You have AIDS problems. You know, you have schizophrenia problems. Why, why do these things happen? Sure. I prefer to say that much of it is is turned over to human free will. Some of it is turned over to randomness. There is still a cosmic order, but it doesn't fix every problem. And, and to live in that space where God is infinitely loving and finitely powerful totally speaks to me as a parent. Yeah. Like that's how I feel as a parent. I'm infinitely loving, but I'm finitely powerful. So, so I, you, yeah, I, 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 I. I think I think what he's doing he's doing a, a the, theology in a very personal way. I, I, I'll give you a Kushner. I, I never heard him say this, but I think of Kushner when I when I think about Psalm one twenty one. You know, Esa Enai El Harim. I look up to the mountains, and what is the source of my help? Ezrimeim Hashem. You know, my help, my strength comes from God. And I, whenever I teach that psalm, I say it, it, we make the mistake of thinking that it's a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's S-I-N-A. I'm looking, I'm helpless, I'm helpless. And the person standing next to me says, Hashem, which means my help comes from God and I'm going to help you. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to guide you along. And so these right. are two people walking in the valley. And that's that's what he is. And I, I really, I think that when bad things happen, the book is his, his say, look, I was scarred by life. I was deeply wounded by this terrible, terrible 
tragedy. Um, and I'm going to remake my life and, and reach my hands to people who suffer like everyone, because everyone is going to lose in life. And I'm just going to give you the embrace and I'm going to give you some wisdom and, and reject it, except, you know, I'm just here. I'm a voice. And I think, you know, again, he, to his credit, th th there was a great humility about him and that he, he understood his celebrity within, within the cultural moment of America. I mean, he'd been on Oprah and all that. And, you know, there's a certain kind of person that, that, you know, sees that all as frivolous, but he understood that it was, important to speak to people and if that was an an audience to 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 be you know to speak to great you know he'd go home afterwards and sit at a baseball game whatever so and anyway. so i just wanted to add one piece to the difference between the monologue and the dialogue and one of the difficulties for people in pain is that it prevents them from hearing and so we only become we become consumed with our own voice and we don't listen for a response that might be there if we could only open our ears. Are you saying about the person in pain or the person trying to comfort the pain? The person in pain. Sometimes the pain is so great that we no longer hear what's going on. Yeah. Right? So you said that the, the psalm was a dialogue. So if God is speaking, we have to hear God's voice. Otherwise, God might as well be silent. Well, but if the pain is so great, we might not be able to hear it. But I think Elliot's saying there's a second person. The one who says, Hashem, is not God. It's your fellow human being. It's Harold Kushner. Harold Kushner is walking beside me when I'm in trouble. And he's saying, look, I came to a sense of, of feeling protected after being battered by life. And I'm going to, I'm here for you. That's what the book me meant to me. That's what the book, you know, what, what his voice means. And, and, I, and I think... I'll, I'll put it, he was a voice in American Judaism, and he was a voice in American culture that broke through. And for that, you know, tavo bracha, you know, may his memory be a blessing. Because um, I Man. think he gave, he gave a lot of people comfort, and he opened the the pathway back to an accessible dialogue, an accessible faith for people, a, a life of faith. People are comforted by religious life. And and people are have been so tortured and wounded by by their various faith tradition, including ours. And and he gave people an entry back. And I think that 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 was remarkable about him. And and he was again a very very humble person. Okay, Amor. Speaking about important people, we have a whole parsha dealing with rules relating to koanim. Koanim have to uh, guard who they have their relationships with, who who they marry, who they can mourn, and all that. And there are certain restrictions about who can serve as a Kohen. Um, I don't want to go into it in 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 too much depth, except for to say that that, you know, I want I want I want a tour guide in this world. I want if you were if if I if I was putting on the virtual reality goggles, okay, and I was going into the world of you know the temple, and I I I, I wanted a, a madrich, someone to say, you know, what's happening here? Uh, and you were that madrich, okay? So I'm going to put you on the spot, Jeremy, and say, what's going? What? What's? What's this world about? What? What? What kind of zone am I in, where you're, these people are restricted? There's a certain kind of uniformity to to their bodies, to their uh, behavior. What, what would be your best? 
you know, guidance on that in my virtual reality world. Virtual reality world. Well, so with the, uh, you know, you you like to to show also those those temple videos and yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of animated things. The the high pri- the the priests, not the high priests who had a very ornate garment, but the priests basically wore white linen, and linen doesn't really take dye. Okay, so linen is always going to be a kind of off white. Um, they're wearing white clothing, and the truth is that they're they're working in a slaughterhouse. <laughs> so, so there's actually everybody in in quote unquote real life, which we have no access to, is actually spattered with blood, and and you know there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. Priest's main job, one of the main jobs, is they after the animal is the throat is slit, they collect the blood in a basin, which doesn't have a which is a rounded bottom, not a flat bottom. So you can't put it down and then you splash the blood against the altar. It must have been a total, total, you know, it must have been somewhat gross. I mean, you know what, you know what it looks like even in just a butcher shop, which is not the slaughtering thing, those white aprons, they're completely, you know, they're, they're maculate. They're not immaculate. Um, So that's what the, the quote unquote reality uh, that we're operating within, and what the Torah describes about these people is a kind of physical perfection. So there are certain things about the the physical perfection that rub modern people distinctly wrong. We, I think, in the twenty first century, um, are suspicious of quote unquote purity. We're suspicious of quote unquote perfection. We love you know, everybody's favorite line from from. Uh, from the, the, the Montreal uh, poet, Mr. Leonard Cohen. Cohen, bring it up. In everything. Forget your, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's, that's, that's contemporary spirituality. Ancient spirituality, I think, in a world that was much scarier, much more broken. You know, every one of us has a dentist to fix our teeth. They had teeth falling out. Right. Every one of us has had physicians to 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 heal us when our bodies break. They had like a lot of missing limbs and broken limbs. And people were generally speaking, you know, like it was it was hard. And the Kohanim are supposed to be a kind of avatar of like the order when when, when things you know, this world is so disordered. Look at the priests. They, they, they testify to order. Their physical bodies are unblemished. The animals are unblemished. They're the a, a thing that I think would particularly uh, ring wrong to contemporary ears. You know that, that they're not supposed to marry co- male co- even not supposed to marry divorced females. The high priest is, is only supposed to marry a never before married female. Like they have to have this kind of perfection in a way that implies something a little nasty about the rest of the world. But what I think is going on is that the claim for perfection is man this world is often broken and what ritual and, and religion uh, um, wants to exemplify is something beautiful and something orderly amidst all this disorder okay i would press the point a little further and remind us that the kohen represents god and when we look at the kohen we're supposed to see an image of god and that's i think where the quest for perfection comes from you know, we were talking about Rabbi Kushner before, 
he presents a different image of God, a broken God, a God who is not all powerful. So these images of the perfect Kohen no longer match right. our sense of God. And that's why I think we ultimately reject them in some way. It's but in the ancient world, this was part of their projection of God rather than a rejection. So I wonder, I wonder, you know, if having described the the world, the perfect world and the perfect body, you know, if if uh, on this virtual reality tour, you know, ordinary ordinary Israelites would not have envy towards the Kohanim, you know, and Jeremy, you are a Kohen, and we've talked about this before, so that that does allow you certain privileges, one of which the most important to which for you, I. I from our conversations is is offering blessings the the birkat kohanim uh and and i know that you don't take that lightly i think you take it very seriously i think it i mean it, it resonates deeply with you and and i it's it's so that's a privilege so i want to say as a non as an israelite on the one hand you know i don't know if i envy you uh for that i certainly admire that aspect of of you that that you know, and that, and that, uh, I, I kind of like, I kind of like the fact that that I have you as part of a, a a group of people that are that are still acting with that vestige of of something beyond explanation. I mean, and your experience of it just remind us, you know, mystery talk- quality. Yeah, mystery quality is is definitely part of religion, um, and. And if it all becomes, you know, in the 19th century, they were also they were also modern. They were also suspicious. I mean, not all, obviously, but you know, Western European, Middle European, German, they wanted things to be rational, and they were very suspicious of all of the of all of the you know pre-modern, uh, woo, 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 you know, mystical something. But I think religion needs um, and profits from and and should should you know. Yes, there are mysterious powers with things we feel, things we touch that we don't necessarily understand. And, and the Kohanic, you know, that, that power of blessing, when you say Birkata Kohanim, in, in Israel we do this, uh, you know, every day um, in most places. And outside of Israel on, on the high holidays and on Shoshua um, Galim in most Orthodox synagogues, most of conservative synagogues don't do that, don't do it at all. Um, that's because they don't have services on those days. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we we're very proud of the fact that we do birkat kohanim in the in in the shul, and um, I get asked from time to time, "Why do we do it?" and and whatever, and I and I say, "Because." <laughs> because you know, well, I remember being in the seminary synagogue. Rabbi Gilman loved to do. Rabbi Gilman loved doing it. But what I wanted to point out that you know the priestly blessing also lends itself to misinterpretation. Because yeah. it's not the Cohen who's blessing us. He is the medium for God's blessing. Okay. And that's also important to keep in mind as well. Well, you know, it's, it's actually a both because it says, uh, it's Kotevachu et B'nai Israel. This is how you should bless. And then it says, V'samwichmi al B'nai Israel v'ani avachim. And you'll place my name on them and I'll bless them. So it is a cooperative thing. And that's, how, that's actually how I feel about it, is that I really do feel like a vessel um, and I try to sum it up. And you know, Zohar says you, you you have to you have to love to give a blessing. You have to the blesser has to love, and the recipient has to receive in love. And so that's what I'm really thinking about. I'm thinking about my Ahavat Yisrael, which is what makes me the 
the you know vessel, my love for the Jewish people, which makes me a, a reasonable vessel to pass this blessing on. Um, so yeah, like I, 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 I the blessing is is fabulous. Um, okay, moving to to chapter twenty three in um, in Vayikra. This is a uh, th- this chapter is familiar to us because we read it on all the Moadim uh, at least three times a year. Uh, this is the Ela Moade Adonai passage. Uh, these are the holidays of of God, Mikra'e Kodesh. Um, and you know, aside from just noting that we have a calendar here and that the calendar encodes in it these these points of contact between the people and God, and that they you know a holy people. Not it conducts itself in the in its holy life, as we saw last week with Nachrimot and Kodoshim, the the ethical life and its 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 structure of law. We see the 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 strata of the holy society in the Kohanim, and we see we saw earlier on in the book of Aikra the holy behaviors in the in the sacred zones, and now we have holy time, Moade Adonai Mikra e Kodesh, um, and that that ought to tell us, you know, that that sometimes, some periods of the year, some, you know, days of the year are are just that much more special. That That's, you know, pretty well known to us. Let's, you know, we're, we happen to find ourselves in um, Sfirata Omer now, and, and every night we're, we're, we're blessing the counting of the Omer, and, and the verse for that is found in this parsha. You are to count from the after of the Shabbat, from the day that you bring the Omer, the Omer offering, seven full weeks that you should count. Um, and can we just can can you talk about the experience of counting the Omer for a second? Just give me give me. I'm going to turn to you, Jeremy. Give me your best spiritual meditation on the Omer. Every day you're walking from Egypt to Sinai. Beautiful. You like. Shavuot is about receiving the Torah. I mean, it's 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 a uh, the pair of this holiday are yeah. so great, and the the uh, experience of the you know American Jewish community. Everybody celebrates Passover to one degree or another, and Shavuot is is a little bit of the you know stepchild about about the holidays, um, but they only make sense if they are a pair. Like you get freedom as, as the you know as the Philosopher Isaiah Berlin said, you know, there's positive liberty and negative liberty. Negative liberty, you got to be free from. Positive liberty, you got to be free to. You got to be free to accomplish something. Passover, free freedom from. Shavuot, freedom to. And you got to grow in your strength. You got to count your way to prepare your way to get ready to receive the Torah so you figure out what you have freedom to become, freedom to accomplish. We are recording this. Yes. At the very end of the fourth week of the Omer, today happens to be the number well uh, we counted yesterday 27 that's how you i like to do it by athlete's number this is mike trout of the angels oh my god there's someone in my show that wants wants to get a poster you know put all the put all your favorite numbers like four bobby Orr. you know every day i say four is actually lou gehrig but that's okay every day i say something like that 20 27 is mike trout is 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 uh um David Ortiz of the Red Sox was, and Vladimir Guerrero, also of the Angels, and... Uh, Rejean Ull. Rejean Ull was 28, I think. <laughs> was he on Le, Le, Les Abbes? On- yeah, no, I think it was... When was uh, uh, Larry... 
<laughs> Robinson. Is Toronto still in it this year? Though? Yeah, I think it's still in yes. No, they won their first round. Oh, so we gotta we gotta be happy for our friend David Wise if Toronto could David win. David Wise, that, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. So, so uh, Barry, give me your give me your speech. yeah. So I, I look at the counting of the Omer as the reclamation of the broken world in which we live, because the point of the Exodus was to get to the promised land. In reality, that was achieved and then lost. And so now, as Jeremy said, we count to Sinai because Sinai is always with us if we open ourselves to it. You guys are so deep. I just think about it. So, you know, <laughs> it didn't really occur to me. I mean, that was duh. But like, yes, you have to get to the promised land. But I don't really think of Ma'amad Harsinai and Revelation as being like, I mean, I suppose I should think of it as as the step on the way to the promised land, as opposed to an end in and of itself. I described it as a pair that is an end in and of itself. But you, you, you drive me to say, well, actually, and this is this is not a bad thing, especially in in the given moment here in 2023 with so many so many problems in the state of Israel. Uh, to say, um, actually, it's really important. Shavuot happens in exile. It happens in in Mount Sinai, not in the promised land. And, and revelation has to befit you to live in the dangerous, difficult, messed up world of exile. You guys are so, so lofty here. I'm, I'm thinking like today is 27. And, and you know what? There's so you're no, still counting. I'm still counting. And I'm so still. So I, I lost it the second night, which was Shabbos. So I davened early so we could eat. And then, of course, I forgot to say the blessing. So you, you know, there's the, still there's still lenient opinions that you can say it, but but I know. well, I, I count without the blessing. Okay, but so it's fine. not the it's not the same. Not the same. So so counting, it's about counting, and and you know that to me is the mystery. The mystery, Monet, Mispar, la Kochavim. You know, limnot. Well, one way in which we make things count is by counting them. Exactly, limnot yamenu You know, teach us to number our days. So that we may attain a heart of wisdom, you know, and and uh, uh, you know, we 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 mark time. I, I I you know, last week we celebrated my mother's ninetieth birthday. I'm gonna mention it today. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of days, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, and um, you know, we all we all have zones within the year that that are transformative. I think, you know, what what's interesting to me about about this period is that it, it is transformational. In all the sense that you that you describe, both of you describe, um, and that we have a couple of these during the year, the Elul to Yom Kippur. There's also forty days there. Forty days seems to be a transitional time. You can make a difference in your life in forty days. A, a habit can be reinforced in forty days. You know, people who go on diets and change their their behavior. You know, having having you know do exercise regimens and other things I, I find parenthetically you know the Jewish year is is a highly disruptive year to 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 ordered routines right you know we're, we're literally 27 days after Passover and I'm just like now getting back to certain things you know it takes a few days to put away the dishes and, and get, get and, and all of a sudden now and then and then there's another disruption and that the same thing is happens with with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur it's like those are this and 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 the whole Chagay Tishrei zone 
it, they're they're joyful times, but they're highly disruptive to if you want to do stuff regularly and routine. If you want to have a life, it's a problem. It's a problem. Moade <laughs> Adonai. Okay. Well, we have we have to talk about the the last paragraph of the of the parsha because it deals with a very light topic, right? You know. Um, well, the, the before that, there's the, this this episode of the 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 one who curses. The person who who curses God's name and and then he is executed for that. Not not a small story. And then we get the reiteration of the code um, of what you should you know, you know the Lex Talionis code. Um, uh, a person who slays another, uh, sorry, an animal, sorry, uh, a person who slays another human being shall be put to death. So this is... And then the next one is the animal. The yeah, next one is the yeah, of course. So so we were talking prior to recording about the the case now uh, being brought to trial in Pittsburgh, Um you know, our our one of our colleagues, you know, classmates, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Perlman is a rabbi there. His wife published an article in the New York Times, um, an anguish plea, uh, understanding that this could be a death penalty case, uh, and iterating for us, you know, a kind of difficulty uh, with this as a difficult uh, as a death penalty case. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of time to wade into this, but but I I I, I using Harold Kushner as the the cue here. Let me let me state as follows: This is anguishing. This is it's it's there's anguish in bringing the case to trial. There's anguish to knowing that there's no other penalty that could pay the price of taking a life than losing your life. And there's anguish in knowing that we somehow can't bring ourselves to do that, both as individuals and as a society, and that and that it's deeply problematic. And so we live in the in the place. Where all of these things really coalesce, that that th- this horrible, horrible murder, the wrecking and ruining of of all these innocent lives, the necessity for judgment and strict judgment and life for life, and that as the the theoretical outcome and the impossibility of being an executioner that I think we all we all share here, and and so I I only can approach that with with the sense of anguish, a sense of anguish that that. The people sitting in the courtroom have anguish. There's never going to be, even even if they took the person out and 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 execute him, is that satisfying? You know, I don't know. And so, uh, well, it's certainly satisfying for some people. It wasn't okay, satisfying fine. for Beth Kislev, and yeah. I think ultimately for society, it's not satisfying because, oh. in the sense, it puts the problem behind us. And one of the things that I think is important as I get older, appreciate the need for keeping things alive, for not thinking that there is a resolution for these things. And, you know, the lives that were affected on that day in Pittsburgh remain broken. There is no replacement for the lives that are lost. And taking the life of the murderer does not bring comfort to those people. But I would their... say, yeah. But I, what I would say about this, first of all, I think for lots of reasons, uh, judicial death penalty is a bad thing. Um, we can, I mean, I 
we talked before we started recording about the possibility of human error. So many people have been freed, have been convicted of a death penalty crime. They're on death row, and then new evidence, especially DNA evidence, comes comes to light, and and we learn that their their convictions were in error. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. I we could look up the number um, have been exonerated after after capital convictions, and and then then that's not even to think about corruption, which is also a thing. People can can you know be uh, bribed in cases like that. But there's a there's a uh, Torah has a, a rule that if there's a if there's a death penalty case for a murderer, there's lotikach kofer. The victim's family cannot accept a monetary payment. Um, in in the code of Hammurabi, actually, there is exactly that. You can accept a monetary payment, and in the Torah says there's no kofer. There's no monetary payment. Uh, it has to be life for life. And the Rambam writes about this. Um, because the life, the life that is taken does not belong to the victim's family, it belongs to God. And so I do not favor in 2023 a death penalty, but I do understand where the logic comes from, which is to say that it is not for the victim's family and it is not for their closure and their comfort. It is a, a social statement that the worst thing that can ever happen, which, which makes forfeit your life, is if you take a life unjustly. And so it is an attempt, the Torah, with all of its death penalties, and there are a lot of them, and in, in our Parsha this week, this, this person has blasphemed, and that's why he gets the death awesome. penalty. The claim is that there are certain things that you do that are so awful that life loses its value. You, you, you've just uh, you, you've made it impossible for you to live in this society. And I don't uh, think we have to go there, but I also don't think that we, you know, we can also recognize why people would would view that thing. That's what it says in Genesis 9 in Noah. One who spills, if you spill human blood, your own blood will be spilled by human hands, for the human being is in the image of God, and you've destroyed the image of God. So the, the, the only the most extreme punishment is, um, is warranted. I mean, is is does the phrase Hashem Yikom Damam, God will avenge their blood, does that, that offer any kind of solace? I hate that phrase. Okay. I never say Only that. Only if we assume that we're not going to do anything. Well, that, that I, I mean. But it's often used for the opposite. What, what don't yeah, you like? I, I'm, I'm not, you know. I, I think that there, I, I don't want to have a bloodthirsty God. Yeah. And when God is a blood, uh, avenging the blood of victims, in my mind at least, it makes God kind of bloodthirsty. Uh, that's exactly how I feel. Even, you know, you'll, you'll see after the name of a Holocaust victim, Hashem Yikom Damam. And and certainly after you know victims of terror in Israel and stuff, um, God should God should and I feel exactly as Barry said, you know justice. I mean the claim that I was just making about the most severe penalty is not a claim of vengeance. It's a claim of justice, and and that kind of like you know God's going to get you in the end. It, it's it doesn't really speak about justice. It speaks about rage, and I don't. I just think that that's 
not a place I want to go religiously. I'll, for the sake of you know our, our lovely conversation, I would say that that I don't think it at all that it's it's a bloodthirsty. It's it's God, you know, taking note of their spilt blood, and the nekama, which is the vengeance, which is un. We are unable to to do that. I mean, there there is a, there is a great satisfaction in seeing punishment meted out to a, a perpetrator. Uh, uh, you know, God forbid that any of us should ever have to have that experience. But, but it, you know, the the wrecking of people's lives through through murder or other acts of violence calls out for justice. Um, but but we we have to appeal to the the ultimate judge. Right. So the, in the human the, sphere. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. We're, so the you know we're, we're the agents of a human delivery of justice, but but. We, you know, for for our our world to have its order, um, we want God to mete out a punishment to to people. Okay, so I I would say two things that I think are important here. First of all, in the human sphere, I've come to appreciate more and more that justice is what we are able to achieve. It's often not satisfactory, but because there are limits, for example, I mean, even if we do... Use the death penalty. You could only kill a person once, no matter how many people they killed. That's unsatisfactory. Um, but I think that sometimes we, we're we too eager to dismiss what we can get, and therefore we think we have got nothing. But the other thing I would say is that what I find problematic with this phrase about God avenging the victims is that I, I think sometimes we really have to ask ourselves, who are we to tell God how to run the world? Yeah. I think God can take care of himself. He doesn't need our input here. If they're worthy of him avenging their blood, then God will do that, whether or not I say so. And well, there let, needs... Let me, just, let me just reinforce that. Please. Uh, if you say, Hashem Yikom Damam, and, and you, know, you, you are, in effect, saying... <laughs> um, Show those enemy people no mercy. Hashem, el male rachamim, rachem aleinu. Ava rachaman, hamarachem, rachem aleinu. Show us mercy, show us mercy, show us mercy. But not those guys. Show them nothing but the face of justice. I don't have any problem. God, God is bigger than 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 that complication. <laughs> I, I want to invoke. I, I actually, this I think we got something to learn from the Christians okay. because. They want to invoke divine love and mercy even on their enemies. And while I don't, as a Jew, you know, want to totally give up. I mean, you, you can't hold the you, you can't hold the rope at both ends, right? If there's justice, then there can't be mercy. There's mercy, there can't be justice. This is a classical religious problem. But I just the the midat hadin, the divine aspect of of anger and punishment. It's real. It's necessary. It's important. I don't want to call it down on people. I want to call down the the love on people a little more. Yeah. Okay. But then you have to deal with the fact that you know a couple of weeks ago an entire family was destroyed by a murderous terrorist, and say, okay, so so do they want compassion? Of course not. And I know you don't agree with you. You you want them to that 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 terrorist to be put to to, to justice or you know whatever happened to him at all. Uh, so okay. So you know what what, what we've just discovered is how 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 easy it is to talk about these 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 oh man I mean, like you know because we could okay there just 
a couple of months ago. I mean, this is obviously the hard problem, and this is what we're talking about, what we've been talking about with respect to things in Israel in, in these recent weeks and months. But I think if you keep saying, Hashem Yikom Damam, listen, if you're really good and you say, Hashem Yikom Damam, God should take vengeance, and that means I'm going to give this up to heaven, that's great. But this is also a religion in which we are supposed to be Shutafim Lakarish Baruch God's partners. And and I think the Hawara riots are at least partly uh, uh, a you know, I disagree with you, but 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 um I you know I I, I it's look it's it's part of a worldview in which in which that horrible atrocious obscene obscenity of an outcome can 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 result in and right and, so and agree with you yeah what I would add is that sometimes when we invoke God avenging victims that it leads people to take God's work into their own hands exactly True. that's and the that thing. hardly ever works out well okay exactly. well. We've reached the end of our time, <laughs> but Never. before we go, we just just let's thank everybody for watching, for listening, for for being with us, for laughing with us, for agonizing with us, and and um, we honor you, we respect you, we love you, and thank you, and we wish you all Shabbat Shalom. See you next Shabbat week. Shabbat Shalom. Parsha Talk.